And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Welcome to My Public Life as an American Nerd. I am your host, David K. Montoya. All right, gang, we are back for the second week to finish out this amazing interview that we had with professional legend, the former WWF and WCW heavyweight champion of the world, Sid Vicious. It, like I said last week, it gets better. And I mean, like, he, he gave and gave and gave. He keeps going. It's amazing. And he gets into wrestling tales, more wrestling tales this time. It, you will love it. I absolutely promise. All right. A little more housekeeping before we start the show. Just want to throw out that this is part of the Jaisal Modcast Podcast Network. You can find us at www.jayzomon.com slash jayzomodcast. That's J-A-Y-Z-O-M-O-D-C-A-S-T. And we have five shows that we run every day. So we have a total of five different episodes. Mondays is the World of Myth Bits. Tuesdays, Who's the Boss? Wednesdays is My Public Life as an American Nerd. Thursdays is Dispatch from Shedquarters, and we finish off Fridays with Flashback Fridays. So go to, again, www.jzomon.com slash jzomodcast and check out what we have to offer. It's some pretty amazing stuff. All right, so with that out of the way, go ahead, turn up the volume, put your feet up, get comfortable. Because now it's time for part two of the Sid Vicious interview. Enjoy. Okay, here's one question for you. Um, so I've been doing research, and I wanted to find out, um, according to what I found out, you were married in 1983, and you debuted. In 1987, so you had been married for four years before you went into wrestling. How much was being married pushed you into the world of wrestling? Well, I don't know if I was being introduced. Actually, I started my wrestling school with Tojo Yamamoto as my wife was still pregnant because she was driving me to uh, Nashville. That's about a three and a half hour drive. We'd leave out of here about three in the morning, get us down here about 630 in the wrestling school would start at seven then i would drive home you know because she's pregnant and after that afternoon that you know lunch we'd always stop at uh um exit there at loretta lynn's kitchen and have lunch on sundays on the way home so we, really wrestling came at the same time as uh the marriage and uh and you know um within just uh, say a year or so oh, okay Okay, this is the, and, and you've mentioned it, and this is actually the, the point where I'm going to say, 
with the legendary career of 30 years and, and memories of working and your life, your amazing life, you are coming out with a book called Poetry in the Sand. And would you like to tell the listeners a little bit more about it in detail? Well, this the thing is, um, I've heard a bunch of things about writing. Sometimes, you know, to do something like it takes a long time. And I finally got the uh, friend of mine, Billy Norman, who finally got the time on the schedule to do this. I, I think he's going to be the best for it. I'll tell you why he's going to be really good at it. We actually read, wrote WWF or WWE, what's called the first chapter. And it really didn't ever mention my name. It just talked about a kid playing wiffle ball, pretty much. And then they came back to us and go, you really think that much of yourself. So that probably is going to explain how good this book is going to be, that Barry's that good of a writer to never mention my name and then be threatened by how, you know, you know, I really think that much of myself. So I don't know if it's that and then also the story I have to tell. It's going to say I do think a lot of myself. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. The thing about it is this, it will be able to um, put things in better perspective. You know, like the why I went to the WWF the first time and why I left the first time and, and then how I got back. And then, um, say for instance, you don't know this, Dave, but a lot of people do in, in the industry. You know, one time, really, I was called, I was on the whipping post and as I was, uh, just, you know, I, I was disliked by Vince McMahon for leaving. And of course, he brought me back and then I actually worked myself off of that and became world champion. And that, when people hear that story and know how this business is, that doesn't happen. It only happened to me because how hard I work, Dave, and um, how I put myself in position to always be in a good position. And so this book is going to get a chance to explain some of those things um, and some of the stories that go with some of the other stories. And um, it's just going to be also described why it's poetry in the sand because my life was just that quick, you know, a wave would come in, wash away that, and then we'd write something else down. And, and I thought that was a good title that came out well. That is an excellent title. Um, is there an expected release date? No, we don't. We don't. We don't. Uh, in fact, Dave, he just um, came to the theater and went to Maine and he sold it. He's just not able to uh, get away. We just talked yesterday. Um, I'm going to go ahead and purchase his ticket for, I guess, you tell me what day I'm going to call him back, but, um, he's already got some of the writing done, but we're going to, that way we can, he can be here with me. We can go through the things and, you know, um, he can get a better idea of exactly, you know, the paths I walked on as a kid. So really, uh, David sort of, the book is, my life story is pretty cool as a kid before the wrestling. You know, you know, that first part as a kid, uh, really, you think of a book or a movie, it was stand, like Stand By Me, where me and my buddies were going out fishing and hunting every weekend. You know, in a young age of fourth and fifth grade with shotguns and fishing poles. And I mean, we hunt and fish our way up to this place. Um, if we had the money, I think we had it maybe twice in our lifetime. It was uh, all you could eat smokers We'd walk up to the place, put our shotguns outside, go in there, eat for two hours, and just went through the mind take a crap. We could eat some more than we go right back to hunting. Um, so that was one part of it. And the next part of the kid, when I was working on the farm and actually bought my first car and everything, it was sort of like uh, American graffiti because, and I'm sort of proud of this, and people 
one of the wild, but I actually got two DUIs one night, and that was not one of the cops. I used that one of the cops every night. <laughs> so, I mean, sometimes I do it two or three times a night, you know, just because I thought that was funny. Now, working for a family who was wealthy and um, the other part of the family were all lawyers, you know, I was taught that you're always not guilty. Right. So I, I lived most of my life thinking it's okay to do this kind of stuff. You know, so, um, again, uh, it's going to be interesting. And then from there is when I get into the wrestling side of it. So it's, I think it's going to be an interesting book because there's so many, again, so many different layers to it. I'm, and. Well, not to touch you off, but like, yeah. me, I think the first day I said, you know, I was born Moses Lake, Washington. That's in, up, you know, upper state, state, uh, Washington state. And, um, he said, you know, this didn't say anything for a guy taking off his, his dad's name is Bobby Joe and his mother's name is Mary Joe. You can't get any more dumber in the South than that. You saw what I mean? With, with parents' names like that, that's pretty much his like, man, this kid's going to have a tough fucking time making it. Absolutely. I understand that. I, I do legitimately understand that. Well, you know, in front of where I'm at, Dave. I, <laughs> I was going to say, I have nothing but love for Arkansas. And well, no, uh, I'm just joking. But, no, that's really how it is. is uh, you know, I didn't really I didn't know my dad. Um, I didn't know my mother that well either. And I don't have communication with dad's dad. But, um, again, I did this all on my own. And I quit school 15 years old and went to work and, and um, made the best of it. Speaking of working, um and I, I did a little bit more digging on you, and I found out that you owned your own landscaping company. Right. Um, when did that come about? Guys, about uh, six years ago. Um, it's really strange. I got into let's see, it was um, exactly six years, seven years ago. There was this guy I really didn't like, and his name was Steve Chariot. He was wanting to get into the landscaping business, and all he knew was how to put in irrigation, which that's really just a one-time deal. And that's not a, that's that's not really how you make money in landscaping. But and then as a farmer, and then working as an ag rep, I was you know knew chemicals really well, and it was, you know that was actually my first job as a kid was landscaping on the farm. That's what my very first job was: was just mowing and bush hogging and keeping up you know the shops and you know all. The guys yards and stuff like that so and also it was my first job is my grandmother gave me is a mower so this guy in Steve Cherry asked me to come in and meet with him he had, his name was head uh, GM for a company called Petro they're all over and going in that meeting they came out with uh, three big accounts and then the guy Steve Cherry got out of it and I stayed in it and that made this thing grow into something pretty good right now that's awesome so uh, on top of everything that you've done already in your life, now you're an entrepreneur. It's amazing. Right. It really is. But this is the thing is, if you work hard, you, everything comes to you. I think I heard somebody say one time, I forget who it was, they said, you know, if you took all the money in the world and buy it up, I mean, everybody, the people that have the money would get it back. And I'm, I'm always going to have money of some sort. So that's how much this business has grown. And, um, of course, I don't do anything. Um, half ass, or I can't, I don't do anything small. <clears throat> and it's just, you know, because I do do a good job of everything I do, I've got people calling me every day for new clients, uh, just on word of mouth. So 
Um, I am, uh, I am really enjoying this right now. Very cool. Good morning. I'm actually out of my tractor because I've lights on it. Where uh, it's me the morning. Oh goodness! Um, because that's again, I'm, I, where I look at is, you know, I should wait till everybody else does at seven o'clock because I can work from get work from three work from I'm making that day, and that's how I look at it. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Okay, sir, this is actually my final official question for you. And it is that you've kind of gone out and you've said that you are starting a podcast that is focused on telling the truth. And I wanted to know if you wanted to, to kind of plug your, your upcoming podcast and your thoughts and, and where we can find it. Well, it's going to be launched, I think. We're shooting for Labor Day weekend, Labor Day. Going to call it, be called the Vicious Circle. Guy named Steve Joyner is helping me with it, uh, along with Barry Norman. You know, actually, Steve sent me a copy of um, Bruce Pritchard's podcast just right here. And I've heard it's only just the beginning of a little bit, but I just, you know, one of the stories I think, even the story about me, I heard some stories he said about Sean. Some of these stories aren't, aren't even taking place in the right cities. Or okay. the right part of town, or even one of the stories would be with uh, Bruce Pritchard wasn't in the right country. <laughs> so, so if you if this is I hate this um if people know me do this I do not lie to you. If I don't know something, if I tell you something, I say, hey, Dave, I'm not for sure. I, I'm thinking this. If you know, you tell me. I don't ever if I don't know something, I tell you I don't know it. So um, I wish you know it's, it's pretty easy to do that. But it seems like it's it's hard for some people to do that, right? Okay. And and then too, like I was doing a podcast with a couple of guys last night. I can't remember to say Kipsy, New York. Two really nice kids. Um, the thing about it was is they don't even know some of the silly sayings in our business, like living on the square. So hopefully, too, that I could educate some people that are trying to learn this. You know. Some things they're doing in these podcasts that way when they go into it, they just won't. Now, we joked a little bit. Actually, the first night we had to scratch it, start over because I had my grandson. But uh, now I actually made a joke last night. So the real reason we did it was because when they asked me that, when I asked that question, do they know what Rivian Square is? And they didn't. I said they felt so stupid they started throwing up. Oh, you no. know, it's like one of those Dave Chappelle skits when you know they make fun of dumb people how their heads explode yes so we just laughed about that but in the case it's sort of funny in a way it's not funny because you know we got so many people out here and i guess podcasts are pretty popular but a lot of these people don't know what they're talking about um so i think if someone has one out here that do know what they're talking about and can you know relay a maybe a better uh, not just the truth but a better version of it. I know I did a Q&A in Liverpool and um, it was so much different than everyone else's because it was the truth. It wasn't like made up about, you know, what happened here, what happened there. It's like, well, I didn't think that was wrestling. So sometimes some of my questions, the questions get asked to me, the answers are like pretty, I mean, it's, 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 you tell the people didn't realize that's what really is going on. Right. Okay. Say, for instance, this is uh, now. I bet you're not going to know this either. You know, back in the um, 
when uh, they started going to pay-per-view a month and WWF was doing those in-houses and stuff like that, you know, there was a stretch there, Dave, where guys were getting paid for months at a time. Were you aware of that? Yes, sir. All right. So, but a lot of people aren't. You know, so again, you know, if you knew what these guys were going through on the road, like, you know, um, and I, firsthand, I know Billy and Boyd Gunn and Bob Holly were doing this because I was riding with them. You know, they'd go on the road just to take a draw, you know, a cash advance to get home, pay it to their credit card company where they could go on the road the next week. Now, I was lucky for other people like me and I don't know whoever else in the business who had money. But I had to um, do a deal with uh, this is when J.J. Dillon was under working with Vince. I said, J.J., I'm not coming on the road till I get a thousand dollars a week just to pay my expenses. You know, so that's how that's how the business was at one time. It's, you know, it's not like I think we and we all and I got fooled one time by it too. That this was that particular time where you see that TV, and you think everything is great. You don't realize that they're shuffling people around to be in one section to make it look like it's, it's sold out, but it's actually no one there. Uh-huh. And that's happening today. And I just heard today from a friend of mine who's keeping up with it. And I've heard just two or three times already in these podcasts that I guess that the television, the TV writing is so bad that they're having to scrap it the day of TV and rewrite the whole thing. That's a scary and, thought. Well, this is the thing is, that's why, Dave, I know you know, that me and Barry would be a, a great addition to the writing uh, squad there because, one, just simple, just, just simple fact alone. With everybody that's in their writing team, I don't think anyone, say, for instance, ever got over like I did. And that's something I, you can't, um, you're not going to wake up and be able to do that. You're going to have to have done it like I did it, and that's, sometimes you have to be an opportunist to do some of the things I did. We're going to have to teach that to some of these younger guys how to get themselves over. But now, if I had the chance to be the writer and helping a guy get over, hold his hand through these motions, I think they'll have a better chance. And now, why I picked Gary to come in with me is because I guess this might be a weird example to you, but you know, I think the last presidency that actually had a you know really looked like a presidency was George Bush the second. And the reason being, he had Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld. And he had uh, Colin Powell. You can't beat a staff of people like that around you. So I wouldn't go into a writing thing with the WWE with um, just on the fact alone that I've got those other guys that are already there failing to help me succeed. I'd want, I'd want someone to go with me that I know that could help me succeed. That has uh, like for Barry, you know, his independent things he did. He actually casted the lady who's the head lady on Walking Dead. Oh wow. I mean, Right, so that's what I'm saying. I could go on on about Barry. Barry, was, he served on seven Olympic committees. He's uh, started film festivals all over the country. He's he won Independent Film of the Year at New York Film Festival, and that's one of the biggest honors in independent film that you can get. Um, he's got a really um, huge background. He's went to school for all these things. He's got degrees. Now, Barry by himself, I don't know. I think he'll do well, too, but I think... He, Together, me and Barry make really one of the better teams because he knows wrestling again. He's, he was in WCW from Jim Hurd to Bill Bush, and that's getting the end. And he worked in all facets of the business. And then being a good writer, and then 
I think I also can be a good writer, and I, I know I know the business well enough to help someone get over, and then I know I can take someone and get them over. Uh, if, if you know, if they're a person, say, say somebody like um, I, I don't use this guy's name, Roman Reigns. Uh-huh. For the last few years, I heard what you know. He's not this. He's not good enough to do this. Blah blah blah. But when I watch him. I watched their TV. He's to me one of the more brighter looking people out there. Uh, I don't know what what all the negativity about him is. But, uh, you know, I think you right here. They can't get over the baby face. He can't get over the heel. Well, that that sounds like to me the ones they're writing the ideas for or saying that because he's doing only what he's told to do. Right. Okay. So and, and more so today than ever. Well, back in my day, you know, Dave. I'll give you an example, like, you know, and I use this several times, but I use it again. It's like when me and Sean were doing an interview to go into um, that pay-per-view at the, the Madison Square Garden. I thought it was SummerSlam, maybe Survivor Series or something like that. Um, and um, so I remember going into that, and we were doing a live interview at a podium. Now, I already know I'm going to win. So that makes it easy for me to, you know, make fun of him. Right. So I let him, I let him go first. As soon as he got done, I sort of said it in a joking manner. I said, I, I know you're not aware of this. I said, but this is a big man sport and you're just a little bitty guy, you know? <laughs> so now again, if you had someone there to teach someone that how to take advantage of that opportunity, you know, or maybe write that in there for them, you know, then you might get somebody to get over, but I, you know, everything I've seen and been watching it more so than ever before, just in case we do get mentioned or get a possibility of thinking about us. Um, because that way at least we'll, we'll know what we need to go in and take a look at. And it'll take a lot of time. You know, I would have to myself ever feel comfortable with I do I probably want to make two or three, four weeks of just every show, house shows and everything just to get an idea for what everything's going on. But this is the thing is. I don't think, and I can honestly say this, I don't think they have anyone in there right now that has any more experience or has any more, uh, that has, um, say, not just experience, but has the criteria that I have that can, you know, help a wrestling territory get going. You know, if you're looking at someone who you want to write some South Park episodes for, I think they got a bunch of guys up there to do that. It makes <laughs> no sense to wrestling fans. I saw an episode of South Park that actually made fun of the WWF. This is no joke, Dave. They're, 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 this is how funny it was. Talking was playing part of a 19 year old Vietnamese prostitute had like 15 abortions. Oh, no. And, uh, that's pretty much what the WWE is right now. I'm going to point this out. This isn't, I'm not trying to pick on anyone, but this is just the point I'm making. Right. Where that girl Paige, and I'm sure you've heard, if not seen the videos of her having sex with guys, you know, on the toilet. Yes. During the match and then, you know, using the uh, instrument on herself. That's not, that's not, uh, that's right down the same alley of what South Park said wrestling with D five years ago. You know, how long that episode was. So, right. Well, they're there. If that's what they're trying to achieve, they've achieved it. But I don't think that's what they're trying to achieve. And um, rehiring people like Bruce Pritchard and uh, um, I, you know, Paul Heyman, who, you know, uh, and, and I like Eric Bischoff, I'll tell you better as, as well as anyone, but 
we know this when you refurbish somebody once or twice in this business, we refurbish someone that's the word they use a lot. It never happens as well the second time as it did the first time. Right. So now these guys are on your third and fourth and fifth times of being refurbished. Now that and and this is just what I've heard today and, and yesterday. You know, already uh, I think they're picking on Eric a bit about his way. I think we could do a good job. Okay, so before we wrap this up, I do have a couple of wrestling questions for you. Um, and I, I want to, you know, I know that you've won the, the WCW title. I know you've won the, the world title, um, the WWE title. I know you've been to WrestleMania and SummerSlam. But with all, all that you've achieved, who do you feel, other than yourself, of course, because of your talent, but who do you feel really propelled you to stardom? Who helped you? Who assisted you? Well, you know, I think we, we, any of us in any type of industry or anything that we, you know, got, became successful at, I think it has to come from the beginning somewhere. Of course, I, I'm going to go back to my work ethics, but really, it, uh, again, it had to be Eddie Gilbert was the, probably, um, the main catalyst or the main driving force that got me where I was. And I'll tell you why is that like, in now when I first met him, he came as a booker at Continental and took over Robert's place, which, um, um, a, a broom could have took over Robert's place. That's how far out of date he was on booking. And he came in with a ton of excitement. He also could write it who he wanted. He could have fired who he wanted. He decided to keep me, which I really appreciate. And we've become really good friends there. And then when he becomes booker at WCW, he calls me, uh, which, I, um, you know, I didn't have a phone at the time. I was getting my phone calls from my father-in-law's car lot he had in West Memphis. And so I came in one day and he said, man, I got him. Eddie Gilbert calling. I called Eddie. He goes, you want to try out? And I went, yeah. So he brought me in, gave me a try out, and I made it. And from then on, he held my hand and really pointed me only to to be successful. And what he did was he was responsible for putting me with Dennis Thiving. And this is sort of funny, and it's not funny. Um, but, you know, again, coming straight from the farm, you know, I was just right off a tractor into wrestling. I didn't know anything about getting around at airports, uh, didn't have a credit card, uh, didn't even know anything about how to get rental cars and all this other stuff. So he said, you know what, Sid, one day you're going to be a great singles wrestler, but what we're going to do with you right now, we're going to put you with a real seasoned person, being Danny Spivey. He's going to teach you the ropes. He's going to teach you, you know, simple things, how to really get heat. And Danny was, you know, at that time, was one of the stronger forces in the business. You know, he was really strong in Japan, working with people like Stan Hansen and Vader and those, uh, you know, Steve Williams and stuff like that. So working with that group of guys just alone, you had to fight your ass off to stay alive. So, I, was, you know, I got the chance to learn from one of the, you know, better big men in the business, Danny Spivey. So, it was, you know, Eddie set that up for me. He goes, okay, now, and I don't forget the sort of a joke. Um, and I remember being in Chicago, uh, then he asked me, he said, do you think you could become the rental car and we'll just take the shuttle on? I should have said no, um, but I didn't want to, um, be a jerk or act like a crybaby. So I said, sure, and he ended up getting lost and missing my flight that day. So that's how important it was to put me in that position, Dave. And Eddie did that. Uh, and I'll never forget that. And, uh, you know, if I hadn't got that breakdown and got educated and, you know, after Eddie 
Jay Moley Anderson, which was uh, another great learning tool for me about the business. And then, you know, I was lucky about Oli. You know, Oli was a hard case. He's sort of like myself being a hard case. And he told me I sucked and everything when I sucked. And he told he reminded me to sting every night how they sucked. Um, and if you couldn't take that, you know, a good example is Nick Foley. Um, I know Nick just had taken so much verbal abuse. He, he asked, I can't remember what time he was quitting. I was walking to the car with him going, Nick, uh, don't quit this job. I said, this, you know, bookers are, they come and go every six months. I said, you know, you're making money. Don't leave here. And he, you know, I think he even wrote that in his book. But he decided to go to, um, decided not to stay there. And, um, that's how, how hard Odie could be. But for me, I, I worked under people like that better than most people because I didn't mind being told the truth that I, I did, I did suck that night or stuff like that. And I really honestly never heard that from Odie to, to me because I did everything Odie asked and did the best I could. And that's usually, if you did that, you didn't, you didn't get the bad compliments. So I work under, you know, um, authoritative figures better and I like that I like people like that because I'm like that I want to know that I'm doing the best I want to be you know pointed to be get the chance to do the best be the best and usually with guys like that you know it's sort of like if you go back in history it'd be somebody like Teddy Roosevelt Teddy Roosevelt was a hard guy to deal with but history tells us that he might be the best president of all presidents combined True. so that's why that's why I gravitate towards people like that so again Right place, right time, you know, and I enjoyed our conversations with Bill Watts. And Bill Watts did a little bit like that. I think Bill Watts could have helped the WWF when he was there. I just think people were a little bit scared of him. Um, um, people are scared of anyone who brings success, and I don't know why, but they are. I think maybe it might just be the the strong personality that you need to be successful. So. This is the thing is, is, you know, right now, and I believe this, and I can see their product, this, they need to be tough love. They need someone to say, hey, man, this isn't good, and we need to get somebody, or we need to move this in a different direction, and it takes certain someone's feelings. I think that's what it's going to take. I think Vince is doing that if he's making people rewrite TVs. He's giving out a little tough love. But again, that's why I'm reaching out to, I've tried to, with Bruno, who's in the office there or not, he's in the company. I've, I've asked him to talk to Eric and tell him, man, if there's anything he needs help on, then give me a call. I'd be glad to help him. And I know he didn't have any two harder workers than that me and Barry would be. First of all, no one wakes up before I do, dude. I'm up at three o'clock every morning, you know, and I'm at work at five o'clock in the morning at the latest. So, I mean, that's working at five. That's not getting out there at five. So, and then um, I'm up all night, you know, you know, writing or doing things on the other side of my life. So my life hasn't changed from back when I was in the business before. I still get more hours in the day than anyone else does. I think I'm a little sharper and brighter than most people are. And then I think with the, what I've been through in my wrestling career, I think that would translate into a great um, position to help someone. That's awesome. That, that is awesome. And I hope they do. I hope they, they see that the potential there to, you know, make a product better. Well, this is the thing is, is again, you know, um, 
I remember talking to Pat Patterson about some ideas I had years ago when I first came into WWF. Your Pat asked me, man, what have you been doing, smoking? What are you smoking today? Of course, everybody knows I'm a pot smoker. But it wasn't that. It's just I've always had a broader vision uh, than most people for ideas and writing and things like that. Things I would talk about back then, they, they really made look pretty tame today. And you know, we've got some really good ideas already lined up to get for them right now that could help them really, you know, get them in the, somewhat in the right direction. And show up knocking on the door. That might what might be what it takes. Well, this is the thing is, is um, I never been, didn't want to show up to buildings on and not ask. You know, um, you know, this is a, this is I'd be lying if I didn't say this. It would be a tough, big gamble for them to take on me and Barry not knowing, you know, not having as a um, personal hands just like running the territory like some of these guys have. But the things I have done have been successful knowing one or two characters that, when only really one character I failed at, and that was Big Boy music And that was, he was managed by Bruno at the time. And, and me and Bruno both, we thought we did our homework. We went to some house shows with the kid. Yeah, I think he's dead now. But um, we went with him to house shows. We looked at some tapes, and what really sold me on him was that. And I didn't know Bruiser Brody, but actually, I was taking, I was brought in Japan to take Bruiser Brody's place. So I've seen a lot of matches with Bruiser Brody when I was over there preparing to take his place in Japan. When I saw a match with Nick, with Nick Bruiser Brody, and they actually had a good match, I said, "This guy can make it," you know. And I was just looking for. Because I was looking to get him a job. I didn't really care who was with because, you know, as we all do, if we're able to, we look out for our friends. And that was one of the stipulations for me being the WWF that was that they had to get Bruno a job. Uh, he ended up managing me for a little bit because uh, I ended up forcing my hand on that too. And um, that that's the only one I failed on. And it wasn't he. He had a great look, and the character was good, and the, the look together was good. It's just he was um, he was a bad drinker. We didn't know that, mm. and that made for a bad. Uh, not that it wasn't already other bad drinkers, but he I think he missed one of his flights his first day, and then they gave him a, a spot to where they even said, said if he didn't get over tonight, this is probably going to be it for him. So they did a deal where they put Bobby Heenan's daughter or granddaughter in the ring out in the audience with a balloon. And he carried around this big cigar and. Really, and he was working with Virgil, which was, uh, um, that was his death, uh, working with Virgil. But, um, and I remember sitting back there with him going over hours and hours trying to get this damn match down, and they, Virgil was just so hard to deal with. But the main thing was, uh, Nick forgot to pop the kid's balloon with the cigar. Oh. And so the next television tapings, they had him against me, and, uh, he's being jobbed out, and they sent him home. And that was sort of a, probably a gig to me because I, I forced him to get a job and uh, that's really the only mistake I made. I did bring in um, what's his wrestling name back in the day was Gorgeous George. I can't remember his name right now but he ended up doing the maestro gimmick. The thing about him, he really was a high decorated um, amateur wrestler which you know, Vince and them usually really like. I brought him up for a trial. He was working with Scotty Riggs sort of the same situation. Scotty was already got a signing that WCW and he wasn't willing to put the kid over like he needed to put over and, and um, George I can't think of his real name right now as he goes out there 
they tell him to go home instead of getting his heat like he should have. If I'd been out there, I would have been sure of it. He went home too early. Now, they didn't use him, but, you know, WCW did. And I think that character Maestro was really cool. You know, we didn't know the fact that he was a pianist, uh, you know, concert pianist and all this other stuff. So really on that case, WWF missed out. Uh, not me. It wasn't my, that was a bad call on their behalf. Right. So really, I'm batting close to a thousand when it comes to creating talent. And I don't think anyone else can say that. Very true. And, and this is going to be the final question and batting a thousand. And most, a lot of people that can't say something is the fact that you've had an, an incredible career, but you are one of the successful ones that kept your, you, you know, you, you didn't go out and blow your money. I was just trying to think of a nice way to say it. And that is so inspiring because I know the, the time, you know, there's a lot of material out there about that time era. And was it a, a party scene? And how, if so, then how was it that able for you to stay away from that? Well, this is a simple thing again, Dave, um, I come from that. I had my feet on the ground from that farming background. And again, from, you know, the, the great family they had. And then we well, talk enough about this as well, you know, not just my, my aunt, my grandparents and stuff like that, but my wife, you know, I had the greatest support system in the whole world. So, uh, and we both, you know, when it came to do things, you know, like, Hey, do you want this? You want that? No, we always decided to, you know, like instead of taking ourselves to, to a fancy vacation, or something like that. We take, you know, all the nieces and nephews down to Florida because that's where my grandparents lived. My aunt and we'd stay with them. We'd take them to Disney World. So we never exceeded things that we didn't need to do. I still have a Toyota Camry I've had just since the year 2000. Um, drive the same. I, I did buy me a new truck a couple years ago, but, um, I, I don't, um, I don't need those kind of things like that. I think back a long time ago, my oh guy was, 30 years ago, me and Sabrina were trying to think what to do for Christmas, and we just said, let's just pay off the house. So that's what we did. So we, you know, we kept ourselves, you know, intact. My wife, she's got a great job as a commodity broker. Um, but that's how it happens. You gotta have a great team around you. And, um, you know, again, with my wife being, um, brought up in a really great home, I had some of the greatest parents, her dad, and this side of the family was some of the nicest human beings you ever met in your life. And so, you know, she was, I was lucky where she went to a Christian school her whole life and she overlooked everything in, the, in this business and she never could make her jealous. Um, and um, she never, this is something too, they, my family, my kids never went to wrestling. Really? My family around it. I think uh, my oldest son, Frank, went when he was about, I don't know, six or seven years old. He wanted to see RoboCop at one of the pay-per-views. And then um, my, oldest, my youngest son really never did go. And so, and then my wife only went a handful of times because they were forced to go because uh, when I was continental, they, her and my oldest son, at the time he was the only child I had, we come down to visit for uh, a couple of days. And part of that was going on the road with us. They had to go to a couple of shows. So um, that again, just being in the right place at the right time, having the right person in your, your corner, you know, uh, almost over. 40 years of marriage now. So um, that you don't hear that very often in the business either. I think in life, congratulations on that sincerely. 
that is, I mean, honestly, most people don't even make it that long in the business, no. out of the business, you know, in life in general. So congratulations. Right. So I want to thank you so much for coming. I, I absolutely enjoyed this talk. Um, before I, I send you on your way, is there anything that I neglected to cover that you want to mention? No, I'll tell you honestly, Dave, man, Tori, this was one of the better interviews. The one last night was good with those guys from Poughkeepsie as well. But no, I think we hit everything pretty well. Uh, you don't want to, you always want to leave something for the future. I want to leave something for, uh, for the vicious circle and, we give the people a little something to think about how it's going to be. You did a really great job tonight. Thank you, sir. I, I, I did my best. I wanted to put my best foot forward. I am a sincere fan. Like I said, I've been a fan since 1981. Um, mm -hmm. and I didn't want to come forward to be, you know, this, just the fanboy. I wanted to, I wanted this to mean something. So I, I really, it, it, it really did. And I appreciate it very much. And really everything was, Again, really professional. I got to speak about the book. I got to speak about, you know, my, my, my wanting to be a part of the writing team of the WWF or WWE. And you handled that well. And I think all the questions were good. I think the answers came good with the, the answers came over pretty good as well. Thank you so much. All right, Mr. Udi, thank you so much for coming in. I sincerely enjoyed this and I hope to have you back. All right, kids, come back next time, and we will find out what else is in store. So for My Public Life as an American Nerd, I am David K. Montoya. And I am Sid Vicious, the master and ruler of the world. And as always, I bid you adieu.